This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We have been talking about the opening of the border, the impact on tourism, and uh, everybody is pointing to that expensive PCR test as the big impediment, even though there's a little good news there that uh, people aren't going to go shopping in the United States given that requirement, and that could help our retailers here. Uh, I want to get into some good news we got last week. The government introduced a 20% personal income tax credit for next year uh, with a maximum of 1000 uh, for individuals, up to 2000 for families. That's the total amount spent um, for vacationing in Ontario. So is that going to make you vacation in Ontario? I know when the news broke, as soon as I got home, my husband, you know, said, okay, where are we going? Uh, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Wendy, uh, on the surface of it, it sounds great. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that I have found working in the travel industry for over 25 years is that when we've had crisis in the past, whether that was uh, 9-11 or um, the SARS um, challenge that we had many years ago, that uh, Canadians often um, want to uh, stay, some Canadians want to stay close to home, um, and having incentives to do that to really support our tourism businesses is definitely a win-win situation. One of the things that I also found is that um, working in the travel industry for a long time, that uh, people have their life trips or bucket trips, and and those trips include, for Canadians, um, trips in Canada. And so certainly in the past, I've seen, um, especially when there's been um, incentives, is that um, I'm going to do that really great trip in Ontario that I've really wanted to do. That might be a uh, fishing resort in northern Ontario. I remember the Agawa Canyon became very uh, popular. And of course, if you're um, outside of Niagara, um, so my colleagues that are on the phone here, you know, coming to Niagara for those golf and wine, and then of course, the Niagara Falls experience itself, that um, that it actually does help. And that, um, and and I think that Canadians, especially families, um, will really take advantage of that. Uh, Mayor Diodati? Well, I think it'll definitely be helpful. I don't think it's going to move or shutter the ground too, too much. And I'll tell you why. I think because it comes to you on the back end, you do it with your income taxes the following year, you have to save your receipts. I'd rather see the people get the money up front, uh, give them tourism dollars where they could spend in certain places. That would have been my choice. I'm grateful that they're doing something. It's going to be helpful. But I'll tell you, tourism industry people are very resilient. They always bounce back, whether it's 9-11, mad, uh, mad cows, SARS, H1N1, currency fluctuations, or bad weather. They always land on their feet because they have to. And I think just by simply getting that border up and running, giving them enough runway to plan their marketing dollars so they could target their audience, we'll be ready for next year. We're going to bounce back. These kind of things are good, all things being equal. I like to joke in Niagara Falls, we have the falls, and in Fort Erie, they've got Mayor Redekop. He's the big draw in that town, and that's I know that's really? the reason my family and my friends go there. <laughs> so just, just to close that circle, we all know that Niagara Falls will eventually be in Fort Erie after the erosion yeah. takes place after several million years. Uh, yes, we don't have we don't have that much uh, to to wait. Um, <laughs> I, I'm assuming that uh, people in the industry themselves will do things like offer dollars or discounts or or whatever is necessary. Mayor Redekop. Well, they will, and and you know the reality is that these are in many cases people that have put their life savings into their businesses and they're and they're desperately trying to stay afloat and so it's it's been very 
gratifying that so many people have tried to support the local businesses throughout the pandemic. Uh, when restaurants were closed, they were doing takeout orders. Um, and, and now that there's been some gradual reopening, that's been very helpful. And, and you know, people will support the local the local businesses. And, and I think the, the tourism um, opportunities that, are, that exist will uh, attract people from across the province. The, the government uh, is doing its best, in my view, to try to keep things moving forward, uh, but, the, but the border is, is a big challenge, for sure. And uh, until there's something that can be sorted out with respect to the protocols for crossing, until there's some alignment, until there's something that makes sense, um, it's, it's going to continue to be a major burden for people to cross that border. Hmm. And just to add to that, I think that um, the number one um, tourist um, coming into Canada traditionally is Americans. And the number one destination that Canadians go to is um, America, the United States. So I think that um, solving um, this border issue um, and as quickly as possible is really in the best interest for Ontarians and it's also in the best interest of our uh, businesses who for the most part um, are small businesses and have given their life savings um, to their businesses. And so I think that the point that was made earlier is so critical because Ontarians are traveling in Ontario that lots um, were vaccinated last summer and um, although we certainly weren't at 2019 uh, levels that people did start to move around particularly within um, their own province and so um, the point being that um, how incredibly um, urgent it is to have um, at least at the beginning, fully vaccinated Americans um, be able to enter Canada um, very easily. Um, it can't be um, okay. overstated enough, considering that they spend twice as much. Um, they tend to stay in hotels, etc., more often than someone um, from Ontario. So it is really critical that we solve that uh PCR testing issue. Okay, let's take a call from Ray in Clifford. Hello, Ray. I'm not sure I can answer your question, but go ahead. Yes, the question is, um, like, we'll be going down in January till April, and I'm just wondering what happens if you don't get that PCR test uh, when, you, when you come back into Canada. Well, I think as of now, they don't let you in. Oh, uh, well, I <laughs> if you're a Canadian, you... Oh. This is Wayne Redekop. If you're a Canadian, you're entitled to come back into the country. But if you're not, if you don't have the PCR test, my understanding is you're going to be required to quarantine. That is correct. And I gave the incorrect answer. So thank you for correcting me. So, um, yeah, that's that's right. You do so, have the so, right to come so back. No you can charge have- then? Like you, you just have to self-quarantine for a couple of weeks or something? No, no, actually. And if I could jump in, it's Diodati here. Um, the other uh, thing is you could receive a fine up to $6,000 if you don't have a negative uh, PCR test. So uh, sometimes you get away with a warning. Some people have received $6,000 per person. So really? that's why we need this issue resolved beforehand because that's uh, that's a big encumbrance. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but you know what, Ray? If you're going down for four months, I my prediction and you better make sure before you, you bank on it, is that the requirement will not exist when you're coming well, back. Well, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm banking on that, but I but, just thought I'd ask and see if there was any, uh, you know, answer to that. So. Well, if not, you'll have to take the test or get yeah. a, a fine. Okay, thanks okay. for your call. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, everything. And, and, you know, when you're dealing with the border... A lot is up to the discretion of uh, whichever border guard you get, what kind of a mood they're in. So, yes. And yes. maybe if I could add, I think that we uh, uh, 2019, 2020 was the year of the staycation. Um, uh, I'm sorry, 2021. And now for 22, people are getting a little stir crazy. They want to spread their wings. 
They want to do a little bit of traveling, and they want to do a little bit more. So this will be key. And it, reading the tea leaves and uh, putting your ear to the ground, it seems to me that Dr. Tam is going to reevaluate. And we're hopeful that the 21st of November, the next date where they review their protocols and have the new rules in place, we're really hopeful that they're going to have, as Mayor Redekop said, you know, the, the, the protocols and, and regulations reviewed with something that's more in keeping with reality of what's going on on the ground. And we've always said this, uh, Mayor Redekop and myself, we're on the ground at the border. We're your frontline people. We can give you direct feedback. We live it every day. We understand how families have been divided. Friends haven't seen each other in a couple of years. We've missed funerals, weddings, a lot of important things. And uh, it's just been generally disruptive if anyone was to cut half of their city off for two years and say, you cannot go there any longer. It's been frustrating for all of us along the border, and we're really anxious to get life back to, to normal. For And especially if you've been vaccinated, you've done the right thing. Uh, it's further incentive for people to be vaccinated in order that you can travel across that border. Uh, Mayor Redekop, what would you think about uh, changing the requirement for a PCR test to a, ch- a cheaper rapid test, antigen test? Well, I, I think as long as as long as it's accessible and it's reasonably affordable and it takes into account where you're coming from as opposed to where you've been, that might make sense. What um, I think the challenge right now is that the, the two countries have to try to get better alignment. Mm-hmm. And on the border restrictions, other than essentially keeping the border closed except for essential workers, there hasn't been alignment. I mean, we know that the Canadians opened our border uh, to Americans a month ago and uh, with testing. Uh, the Americans just have now opened their border, but the, the rules are different. And as Wendy had mentioned, they're, they're very confusing. And that, um, that in itself is a discouragement. So I think if it, if it can be a more rapid test, if it can be affordable and accessible, and it makes sense in, a, in the larger context, that might be good. Whether the U.S. will, will go in that direction, I'm not sure. But um, this is also something where I think the, the federal government here in Canada, if they're going to expect this type of thing to be done, they're going to have to put some money there so that it doesn't become a financial uh, impediment in itself because uh, any restriction that, that prevents the flow of people, um, it's, it's not going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to uh, wrap things up, Mayor Diodati, I mean, what could the federal government do to help you out? Well, I think it's uh, simple. Uh, we want to incentivize people to get vaccinated. We know the vaccines work. We know 85% of eligible Canadians have already been fully vaccinated. We're doing the right thing. Our numbers in, are in the right direction. Removing the PCR test because it creates a whole level of uncertainty, uh, expenses, and an encumbrance for anyone to cross that border. Remove that first. Do random rapid tests if need be to kind of keep the temperature engaged. And, and let's properly communicate and market that out to the world that the borders truly are open. The world's longest unmilitarized border is truly once again open for business because businesses right now as we speak are planning their marketing for next season. We cannot afford to lose another tourism season. We want to get life back to normal on the borders and business back to normal as well. And as Meredekop says, we want to do it in a safe and responsible way, but it's all about risk management. Everything in life is a risk. Every time you get into your car, there's a risk. But you take precautions, you wear your seatbelt, you don't speed, you've got airbags, and same here. I mean, we none of us get out of life alive. We want to make sure that we enjoy the life that we have, that we're able to be reasonable and take risk management. And uh, there's nothing without risk, and nothing in life is 100% other than death and taxes. Okay, so on that, sure that note, I'm going to wrap things up because we are totally out of time. Thank you so much, <laughs> Wendy Paradis, Mayor Jim Diodati, and Mayor Wayne Redekop. We appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The long-awaited reopening of the U.S.-Canada land border is underway, and the long lineups that everyone expected did not materialize. Could that be because of the requirement to show an expensive negative PCR test to get back into Canada or into Canada if you're American? The country's 
Chief Medical Officer of Health Teresa Tam says that she's reviewing the requirement. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily make sense. You might uh, have to have a test from Canada and go to the States and uh, use the test you took before you left to get back in. Doesn't tell you if you picked anything up on your trip. So what is the impact on the recovery of our tourism sector? Uh, what do you think? Will this impact your decision about crossing the border for a short vacation or shopping trip, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now I'm joined by Jim Diodati, Mayor of Niagara Falls, Wayne Redekop, Mayor of Fort Erie, and Wendy Paradis, President of the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies. Thanks so much for being with us. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for uh, for inviting us. Okay, yeah, thanks, well, let us begin with Jim Diodati. So, um, your reaction to this, and what's your stand on the test? Well, I think you nailed down exactly how I feel about it. I mean, I've got tempered enthusiasm. I'm I'm happy. I'm grateful that the border is opening up. Uh, obviously, I'm still frustrated. There's some wrinkles that need to be ironed out. The idea of having to do a PCR test to get into the country is counterintuitive. Doesn't serve any purpose. And the, the minute they remove that, that's when the border will actually be opened and celebrated. That's when people start to travel once again. Until that happens, people are unfortunately bypassing Canada. They're going to Europe where there's no PCR requirement. And it's not been, it's not been good for tourism. I can tell you this summer when we opened up the border, the Americans did not return because of that requirement. And now that the American border is opened up to Canadians, we will have to have a test on, upon return. And it's not going to, I'll tell you right now, there's no wait times at any of the borders. We've got four of them in Niagara, and they're not busy. There's no lineups. Um, Mayor Redekop, uh, I gather that you are a little more uh, cautious about the whole thing. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm the cautious version of Mayor Diodati. And uh, we, of course, work together on a lot of issues, and uh, he's had a lot of experience, and so I always listen very closely to the things that he has to say, and I'm, I'm always very interested in his take on issues. The, I certainly agree that the, uh, the, the test, the, the notion that you can be tested here, go across the border into the States, spend a few days, and then come back and, and, and use that test if it's within 72 hours, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, there's a lot of things that have happened over the past 20 months that don't make a lot of sense. There's been a lot of contradictory messaging from public health authorities, from, from governments, despite the fact that I think both the federal government and the Ontario government have, by and large, done an excellent job trying to manage um, a pandemic that has proven to be deathly in, in many respects. Now our challenge is that we have the unvaccinated who are spreading the virus locally, um, and that's the, the children who are under 12 years of age who can't be vaccinated. We've had a, an upsurge of cases in Fort Erie. Right now we've got 55 active cases, um, far larger than, than the city of Niagara Falls, which is about three times as, as uh, more populous than Fort Erie. So there is that challenge. And, of course, young people will be crossing the border. I don't know what the answer is. I know that up until this point we have tried to follow the guidance from public health authorities, um, but I do agree that um, there needs to be a refinement of these processes. And, and as, as Mayor um, Jim Diodati has mentioned, we're not seeing uh, a flood of Americans coming into Canada, and that undoubtedly is because of the, the testing protocol. Wendy, what's your view on how this will impact uh, the recovery of your sector? So as far as the travel and tourism industry in Canada, at this point in time, probably the number one barrier uh, to recovery and for travelers to actually come and go in and out of Canada is the PCR test. So part of that is the cost of it. It can cost up to $200 per person. So whether you're a senior or a family traveling, it's uh, very prohibitive. And I think that the other issue is that it is incredibly confusing. And so depending if you're um, traveling via car over a land border versus getting on a plane and flying to and from the United States, 
the rules are completely different. So that is um, confusing for travellers on both sides of the border. Uh, the other issue is that, um, again, we all want health, health and safety when it comes to travel and moving around within our communities. And um, we are sending um, the government back to their own expert panel. So they had an expert panel of uh, medical professionals and scientists that actually spent months analyzing all of the data around vaccinations and COVID spread, et cetera. And um, the federal government's own expert panel um, came out and said a PCR test, that very high standard, gold standard test, is not required. It is excessive. And so certainly for our industry, for us to survive and for uh, Canadians and Americans to be able to uh, travel back and forth, that um, we are asking the federal government to take a look at what their own experts panel said and then to follow those uh, processes. So definitely the PCR test um, is um, probably the most significant barrier right now when it comes to traveling between Canada and the United States. And the lack of alignment and consistency between the U.S. and the Canadian government. It and, is confusing. And, and between uh, traveling in different modes. Uh, let me be a bit of a devil's advocate. And Mayor Diodati, so yeah, uh, uh, on the one hand, it, it probably is deterring Americans from uh, from coming to Canada, but doesn't it also, it definitely will deter people who to go from going to the States for just a shopping trip, which means that they will be more likely to shop at home. Isn't that a good thing? It is definitely a good thing, but I could tell you in, in, in tourism here in Niagara Falls, we're the number one leisure destination, 14 million people a year. Typically, 25% come from the U.S., and they represent 50% of the revenue. So it's significant what the Americans, they come, they stay longer, and they spend more. And we've got 40,000 people here in Niagara dependent on tourism to feed their families. So although we're grateful for the domestic tourism, the domestic staycations, that's terrific. Uh, missing out on the, the U.S. traveler and international travelers, it's had a devastating effect in Niagara Falls. There's no question about it. What about in Fort Erie, Mayor Redekop? Does uh, the fact that people will be less likely to go shopping across the border, is that a good thing? Well, you know, unless you live along the border and have an understanding of the dynamic that exists between the the, the two regions here, let's just use Niagara as the example, and Mayor Diodati would be eminently familiar with it, you don't appreciate that the obstacle historically isn't the border, it's the river. It's getting across the river on a bridge. And the relationships are far beyond commercial. There are family relationships, there are professional relationships, there are, there are friends. And so the, this pandemic has created real obstacles. The, the reality is that, yes, some people will stay home, and that's, and that's good. Uh, people in Ontario have been encouraged to vacation in Ontario. That's great, but it doesn't displace the large numbers of people that cross this border, typically on a daily basis, for a variety of reasons. And as I said, it's not just commercial; it's also it's also the family relationships and the and the uh, personal relationships. So it has a big impact, and there's no no doubt about it. I think we would all like to be able to get back to something that resembles normality, uh, but we also want to do it in a safe fashion. So how do you do that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not an epidemiologist and I'm not a member of the science table. I think one of our other big challenges is that those who are making the decisions about the border uh, frequently are, are someplace far away from the border. So we had this challenge in 2001 after 9-11, trying to get the decision makers in Ottawa and Washington to understand what the dynamic is on the border. And I think that that's, that's a major challenge as well that we face. That's uh, interesting. You know, um, we have to take a break. On the other side of the break, I also want to get into this staycation tax 
credit that we just learned about last week. Um, that's also a positive thing, but we'll see if it balances out the negative. So let me give the numbers out, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday, time for our Zoomer squad, and we had some good news about booster shots. The rules have Zoomers at the top of the line. If you're 70 or over, or if you had two shots of AstraZeneca, and you'll recall the first people to get those shots when they were a pretty rare commodity were between the ages of 60 and 65. And lots of negative reaction to the Ford government's decision not to require mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers. That came from hospitals, some of the unions, and professional associations. Well, does CARP think differently? Let's begin there. We also, of course, want to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome David Kravit, Chief Membership Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hey, guys. Hi, Libby. Hi, everyone. Okay, who wants to start? Uh, I guess good news and bad news, Bill. Yes, good news. <laughs> You're absolutely uh, right. Uh, not surprising at all that uh, we're going to be able to get the booster shots and they're coming. The announcement's coming at a time that's appropriate because so many uh, older Ontarians are now five or six months away from their last vaccine and that's when the, they they need it and then the bad news is and I'm totally uh hard to understand uh why healthcare workers aren't being mandated to uh get the, get the covid vaccines both their both their shots uh when all the the uh, medicine all the research is saying they should be and most of them most of them have it it's the, the last few that could could ruin it for everybody else uh, David, yeah, what do you, it's, it's kind of, uh, a, a head scratcher, I have to say. I mean, at the beginning, Doug Ford was saying, oh, uh, thousands of workers would be gone, healthcare workers. That's not the case. I, I guess he was looking at Quebec, among other things. I mean, I found it very surprising that Quebec was the first to announce a mandate and then backed off of it. So maybe that spooked him. But uh, really, you know, we heard last week from hospital presidents who said, uh, first of all, they said that the people they have already suspended or terminated, that that it hasn't affected the operations, really. And there's a concern that they'll just go to home care or some other place. Well, I think that's right. And I think that, that um, the government did not flesh out the first part of their argument, which is we, we have no choice here because we're going to be uh, hit with a wave of suspensions or resignations or firings, and we will not have enough staff. And it's better to test them, which I think they still are required to be tested regularly. It's better to test them so that we keep our manpower up to snuff than watch them all leave. But they never, uh, you know, supplied the finishing touch to that argument, which is to quantify if 85% have already been double vaccinated, so I'm only talking about 15% that have not. What percentage of those 15% would you be saying goodbye to? Is it all of them? Is it some of them? Hey, wait, and then more... what percentage are being tested? And it's, the argument's moot anyway. So there's just too many unknowns here to really uh, understand what's going on. David, I've got to interrupt you. It's 85% in the general population, but in hospitals, it's it's like 98 uh, you know, there's. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm sorry. So, even like, worse, even, I mean, even, even yeah. more so. I mean, how many people are we talking about? And they should have come out and said, we have 6,000 people, 1,200, whatever, pick a number, 
who uh, could disappear from the workforce, and we can't have that, and therefore we're doing this. Uh, and also, they didn't supply part two, testing. How many are being tested? How many of them are happy to be tested without getting the vaccine? Uh, we just don't know. So it's a, he's, he's laying out general principles, which could be valid if we had the supporting numbers, but we don't. And uh, Peter, one of the things, you know, when I was talking to Dr. Peter Uni from the science advisory table, he's sort of saying, oh, you know, they'll do what they always do, which is they'll say this now. And then after there's a hue and cry, they'll change their minds. They'll bring it in. Uh, is that what you think will, will be going on? Well, I, I would have thought that, um, and and you know, I, I read the um, the CMA's uh, and, and the Canadian Nurse Association joint statement calling on their uh, on the nurses to get the shots. But um, the ONA, the Ontario Nurses Association, is against it, and um, I I parsed through the statement, and I, I just couldn't I couldn't see other than you know. Um, other than leaving it up to the individual and, and uh, you know, let, letting the individual nurses make the decision, I couldn't see what their argument was other than we're going to lose nurses. And if this has been proven wrong, then um, I, I don't know why the Ontario Nurses Association is still against the, the mandate. It, it, it's slightly confusing to me, but, they, you know, and, and I, I just can't see their reasoning in, in, their, uh, in their press release. Well, I mean, obviously they lose some nurses, but, you know, there are a lot of people who question, you know, a nurse that doesn't believe in vaccination. Really? (laughs) (laughs) It seems a bit odd, but, and and they're saying, they're also saying that um, they're for it, you know, but but they're not going to enforce it. So it it seems to me a little bit of a a confused statement. And uh, I, I, you know, all I can figure is that they're worried about losing losing uh, members at a time when they can't afford it. And uh, but um, you know they they may change. Well, the nurses' association. I mean, you know, it's a union, so they might be uh, protecting their members. And and one of the other things, Bill, that we heard from other professional associations. I mean, for instance, in New York it looked like they would lose thousands of police officers. They, that, there were that many saying, oh, we're not going to stand for this. But, you know, they let it tick down to the end. And in the end, the number was 34. And yeah. that's because even people who are against science and against vaccination, they're not against eating. <laughs> yeah, it's that, it's that, uh, that putting that pressure on them, the uh, both the individual pressure and the and and the peer peer pressure certainly uh, has has a result. And, and you know why why wouldn't the government take the 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 high road and and demand it and then and then let the rest of it to sort out? I mean, the, I I really can't believe the premier was quoted as saying that a small number of COVID outbreaks in Ontario hospitals. It's not worth it in enforcing a provincial policy. A small number of COVID outbreaks in hospitals would cause deaths that would kill people. It's it's not small. That's that's a horrible statement for for a premier to make. Well, yeah, and and you know they kept saying, well, you know, there it, it, the situation wasn't bad, but I I don't remember the exact number, but a couple months back there were figures from Kai High, the Canadian Institute of Health Information about uh, COVID transmitted in hospitals, and it was not insignificant, David. It's not insignificant, but again, our whole discussion, we're all struggling because we don't have actual numbers. I mean, a small number, is it one outbreak? Is it three patients? Is it 3,000 patients? And they, they didn't ever really fully explain the testing that is required as an alternative to the vaccines and how many people are Undergoing that. At the end of the day, if I have a nurse coming in to take care of my loved one, be it in a hospital, be it in a nursing home, be it in any setting, I want that person not to have COVID. And if they don't have COVID because they've been vaccinated, or if they don't have COVID because they got tested 10 minutes ago and it's negative, in theory, either outcome is okay with me. But how many people fall into that category? And are we seeing percentages of nurses or personal 
uh, workers in homes continuing to transmit COVID. That's the issue, whether you've been vaccinated or whether you have a prior immunity. or What is the testing regime? What are they doing to make sure that nobody who's interfacing with the patient has COVID, whether vaccinated or lucky or whatever it is? And until they can quantify that, it's all smoke. We're going around in circles. Of course, it sounds like a terrible idea to do this or to not require this. I agree with Bill completely. But the degree to which it's a terrible idea is heavily dependent on the numbers, and we don't have any. Well, you know, I believe the testing is twice a week, but I have to say this. Uh, you know, people know I was open that I was in the hospital last April, uh, and it was before, you know, it was uh, I, I had had one shot by then, and um, healthcare workers that wanted it would have had have had their shots by then. But, you know, it was still it was just at the beginning. And I have to tell you that aside from everything, the stress, it was, I found it really stressful not knowing whether the people who were coming and helping me and taking care of me at close range were vaccinated. And I think, you know, that's also something that's not insignificant. You know, we talk about the mental health crisis from COVID. And again, you know, maybe you're in the hospital for something else. And everything else is more difficult. I mean, I, I have a couple of friends who are doing chemo now, uh, wow. you know, wow. um, and there I know people whose procedures have been delayed. I mean, whether it's a, a you know, a joint replacement or something and there's stress because of just, you know, getting all of this other stuff done. And then on top of that, if you don't know, uh, you know, whether the person dealing with you is is vaccinated. That's just another thing. Yeah, Peter. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, it, it, there there just has to be some sort of uh, movement on the Ontario nurses, I guess, to uh, you know to to accept this, and then and then I'm I'm sure Ford will will you know agree with the mandate. So. I, I don't um, see why uh, the Ontario nurses would be his uh, the thing to change his mind. Um, I mean, generally with them, I, I would think that it's it's like they put their finger up, and if the public opinion on it is bad, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're they're saying you know some nurses are um, have young children that they're you know babies that they're nursing, or they're going through um, certain treatments. Fertility treatments that they don't want to, uh, you know, have the vaccine to upset. So I, I just don't know how many. I just said how, how many of, of these nurses that affect are affected, and whether you know we couldn't sort of come up with some sort of okay, they can work on the desk or they can work in a, you know, in a different setting while uh, while that's happening. But uh, you know, until they budge, I don't I don't think the premier is going to budge either. Hmm. I don't know. I, 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 Peter, I have to say I disagree with you that I don't think that that particular one professional association is is uh, at all critical for them. But I don't know. Does uh, do either of you guys agree with Peter? And, and no, uh, I'm afraid. Afraid I uh, uh, I don't. I mean, we we know that there are exceptions, uh, but the government er, and other places that have have put in rules like this have have allowed those exceptions. There are some very few reasons why some people can't be vaccinated and they need to be treated differently, whatever that uh, is. But that doesn't mean that they should be allowed, even at, at that, to uh, uh, just uh, be, not be stopped from being near really sick or potentially sick patients who who are at great risk of, of picking up COVID. Yeah, yeah. And even, even a number of the hospitals themselves uh, uh, have have introduced their own uh, mandates uh, because they know uh, that uh, even getting COVID into that uh, setting, uh, if if it's brought in, if it's brought in by people who are unvaccinated, they could still end up people getting COVID, uh, and although they wouldn't get it as badly because they had the vaccine, but there's still a risk of an outbreak and a risk of the, that those really at risk patients would be vulnerable to it. Yeah, well, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not sure if we're agreeing with Peter, asked to agree with Peter. On, I didn't hear Peter say he supported Ford. I heard him making a prediction 
No, no, I mean, I don't agree with him that it turns on that on the uh, what the Ontario nurses do. Yeah, no, no, no. no, no. I, I, I don't I, generally disagree with Peter. No, but, no, but I don't agree. I, I don't disagree with it to the extent that he's making a prediction as to what the government will do, depending on what the nurses do. I, I have no reason to disagree with that. Okay. That may be what motivates them. That may be the big driver after all. I don't know. Okay, moving right along then. Uh, so we've got booster shots coming up, which is good news, and Zoomers can travel again. Uh, how do you see that unfolding? Uh, Peter, I know, I mean, I just know some people are like gung-ho and some people are still nervous. Some people are still nervous, maybe, yeah, for sure. And, and they're also worried about the, the testing cost, obviously. Um, that, that you have to get tested here, then you have to get tested there when you arrive. And it, it just adds hundreds and hundreds of dollars to your trip and a lot of inconvenience. So, um, you know, I, I, I know the, uh, the, uh, you know, the congressman from New York has asked, um, Trudeau to consider dropping those, uh, policies. I, I, I just don't, I don't have any, uh, you know, optimism that he will. Like, I, I, I think that's going to remain in, in effect for a while now, and that's probably a good thing. But well, uh, I, as it does, it's going to, it's going to sort of people are going to be put off from traveling if there are sort of onerous testing uh, and expensive testing policies in place. Yeah, uh, David. What about uh, you know? Last year we saw only a, a you know a percentage of of snowbirds going south. I think it'll be a lot higher this year. Well, it's going to be a, a, a lot higher. I think what we're going to see is a little bit of a, a lag because even if you're gung-ho, if you're ready to go, what Peter just said, what do I need? Uh, what kind of a test do I need? What kind of a test do, do I need to come home with? Uh, just the logistics of getting it, of actualizing this big pent-up demand is going to take some time. But as far as the snowbirds, I think that's going to be sharply higher because, among other things, Florida now, it turns out, has the lowest uh, uh, COVID rate in the country now. And so, they're the laxest. I mean, go figure. They had a huge outbreak a little while back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we'll have to see what happens with them. I mean, with those tests, uh, you know. No, but um, at the moment, it looks yeah. like, it, at the moment, they're like, they're doing fine. So if I'm a snowbird, I might say, well, I missed the worst of it. I was here during that whole thing. I don't really need to try to unravel all the political ins and outs. I just need to look at the the uh, case rate right now in Florida is the lowest in the country. And so here I go. And I think that's what's going to motivate a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I also talk to people, Bill, who say, okay, I'm going to go, but we're going to st- stick to ourselves. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I hear that, uh, too. They say that I'm going, to, I'm going to do everything outside. I'm only going to eat on patios. I'm, I'm in my own uh, area that I that I know uh, well and I'll stay away. And because I can be outside all the time, I'll be better off than I was stuck inside in cold winter in Canada. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's easy to understand why they're, they're thinking uh, that way. And maybe they do feel that they're going to be actually safer in uh, Florida than they will be here. But I think that's people who are going there for a longer term. That's people who are going there for a month, month or two. So the cost, of coming back and paying the the extra amount for the testing doesn't bother them as much. What it's affecting is those people yeah. who would have liked to get away for a, a one-week holiday somewhere, and they find the, the cost of the testing is uh, usurious. And I'm, and I'm not clear in my own mind why it has to be that uh, expensive. Somebody's got to be making money on them. Well, the people who supply the tests are making lots of money. I mean, I agree with you. First of all, when it comes to snowbirds, uh, I would bet a PCR test that the requirement will be off by the time they come home, right? Um, right. And, yeah, and I, possible, right. yeah, so th- that's number one. And I, I, I can tell you, you know, I'm going to take a little uh, four-day trip uh, soon, and uh, I expect that it'll be a lot more expensive because of that requirement. And well, it, I mean, anecdotally, it's just anecdotal, but 100% of the snowbirds that I know, not 99, 100, um, and it's probably a couple of dozen people, uh, are planning to, to go south for the winter again, the way they always did. Not one person is hesitating. Huh. Hmm. Well, that, that's a good sign. You know, like, uh, 
I, I was worried that there might be a little bit of paralysis in there and that they were they wait, but uh, that's a really good sign, David. Yeah. Just a sample of me, but for what it's worth. Well, I mean, yeah, me too, uh, though um, almost all of them went last year too, the ones that I know. They're brave. Uh, the, the other thing I'm wondering about that I've started to hear people talk about, uh, Peter, Peter, maybe you have some evidence from the magazine, is that people are starting to book those river cruises or trips to Europe or what other kinds of trips, not right away, but, but for the summer. Yeah, and, and interesting you say that, Libby, because we, we have a uh, big travel feature coming up in the December-January issue of Zoomer, and, and it's 22 uh, reasons to travel in 2022, and, and river cruises are among them. And uh, so um, Vivian Vassos wrote the piece, sort of surveyed all the uh, travel agents, what they're offering, and, and river cruises and cruises look like they're back... Uh, you know they they're they're back on people's radar so that shows that the the uh you know our, our readers are our our uh, our group is quite hard they're they're quite hardy travelers and and they're they're going right back at it you know well, well yeah they're that's certainly a... anxious they're certainly anxious to uh uh to go back and and as we've said uh, uh before if you're an o- older uh, ontarian uh, uh, especially in your your seventies, seventies, uh, early eighties, uh, waiting three or four years to make that trip you've always wanted to take just isn't something that you're comfortable uh, to do. Exactly. And people are talking now about traveling as soon as they can. And I'm hearing a lot of people starting to make plans for next fall and and beyond. They're still hesitant about the the spring, but they they believe if we get through this winter and all goes as well as we hope it will, then by next fall, people uh, will be able to travel again. And they're starting to make their their bookings now or, and their plans for that time. Yeah. And the other thing, uh, flu shots, right? So uh, the flu shot campaign is underway. Uh, and there seem to be supply hiccups. I mean, as we did our first story a couple of weeks back. There were a lot of people who snapped up high dose in the middle of October, and then suddenly it was gone. It was impossible to find. I think a few places got a little more shipment. And this is this is controlled by public health. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you'd hear a pharmacy got a shipment and it sold out in an hour. Or, yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah, we've, we've heard uh, from pretty good uh, authority that the... Uh, that it's it's available, uh, but the delivery system uh, is as messed up in Ontario as it was last year and uh, uh, the year before. They have ordered uh, more of the high dose uh, this year than they did last year, but probably still not enough to fulfill everybody who who wants it. Uh, hopefully, they'll they'll get those problems figured out after th- three years of them going wrong, and people shouldn't be. You know, overly worried. Uh, if you can get it by the end of November, you're doing doing really well. So hopefully the system will will catch up. But at the moment we're getting a lot of calls from people saying, "You think I should should uh, get the high dose, and I can't find it anywhere." Well, and they have a third option this year called flu ad, which is higher than the regular but lower than high dose, and they say they have that for older people. I don't know why they didn't just order more high dose. <laughs> there, it yeah, makes too much that, sense. That's why. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there, and there's a real, real debate that we're not qualified to get into here in terms of of uh, uh, whether or not you really would want to take uh, uh, the the alternative rather than the high dose. What? So, what's the debate? The the, the debate is is uh, how how effective it really is in comparison. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, the, the high dose is much more effective. Well, it's it's like, you know, when you look at those percentages, there's it's it's not it's 20% more effective than uh the regular. So, uh, you know, again, it's 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 in between. 
and you know it was news it to is. me when we heard about it um and i i can imagine you know i've had i think one call from somebody saying i i took it i'm totally happy but i think other people you know are gonna think i want the real good stuff yeah, Pe- yeah. peter well, have, you, it, it, have you heard about uh flu shots you know, Olivia, I, I've I've been so immersed in the regular booster shot that I, that I but I, I did hear one thing that that sounds rather promising is that ne- next year they're looking into combining the flu and the COVID booster shot together into one. So that that would be something to look forward to next year if it, if it indeed does happen. Yeah, I'm going to take a call from Murray in Malton. Hello, Murray. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. Beautiful day. I hope everybody's enjoying it. Listen, on your uh, doctors and nurses vaccine rates, uh, we know what's going on in the GTA. There's a lot of people commute back and forth, so uh, we need it down here. But uh, people up in North Bay and Elliott Lake and all that, they're uh, probably a lot less uh, uh, vaccinated up there because they don't uh, interact with the people from coming in and out of the country. Uh well, uh, the majority of the hospitals in the province wanted it. So I think 121 out of 140. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and and that is the only explanation I can think of is that in, in smaller centers, it might be an issue. But uh, yeah, Marie, most of the hospitals in the GTA do have their own vaccine mandates and they're not happy. Uh, that the lack of a law leaves them more open. Well, that, that's the only thing I can think of, the legalities of it. It's, you know, if the province mandates it, then the province has to deal with it. But if the hospital mandates it, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, well, hopefully not, but we shall see. Murray and Malton, thanks for your call. Okay, we are uh, basically uh, getting out of time, so let's go around uh, and see what you guys are thinking about for the coming week, starting with Bill. Well, we're really we're really watching uh, how the uh, COVID uh, vaccinations are going to go in the uh, in in hospitals and other settings, and hoping that the uh, uh, the staff, the unions, uh, and the government always consider first the health of our at-risk loved ones. Uh, Peter? Yeah, well, the the Ontario government is calling this booster campaign its last-mile strategy. So uh, let's hope we really are on the last mile and uh, that can, uh, you know, put the pandemic behind us for good and people can get back to normal lives. And David? I think that it's the last mile psychologically, whether it is medically. I think that there's a climate of, uh, I don't want to say no concern, but clearly less and less as we see not not just the, the infection rates, but the fatality rates dropping. And there's new treatments being being talked about now that that reduce the likelihood of a you know fatal outcome. I think the public is slowly but surely accepting that it may never technically go away completely. There's not going to be some day we're going to circle on the counter, so that's it behind us. But it's almost becoming something we can we can gradually learn to live with. Okay, guys, thank you so much for that. Thank you, David Kravit, Bill Van Gorder, and Peter Muggridge, and we will talk soon. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Libby. Bye. Okay, we are taking a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to a couple of border town mayors and some people in the travel industry. Uh, It is the day that the border's reopening, but there is that requirement we've talked about, about a PCR test to get back into Canada. Open your wallet. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.